Well, hey, let me go ahead and pray before we go any farther, and uh, then we'll get into the text for today. God, we love you, and we just thank you for the time we've had this morning already, just to come together into this place uh, and, and to gather freely, Lord, to come as we are, Lord, uh, whether we're in a season of up or a season of down and a season of, of want or a season of plenty, um, Lord, just coming as we are with our, with our questions, our doubts, our assurances, Lord, and just submitting them all to you. Lord, I pray for the people, for all of us in this room right now, I pray our hearts will be open, our minds will be open, our lives will be open to your transforming truth. And Lord, that as a result of, of coming before you, God, and coming to your truth, your word, Lord, that each of us would be changed, each of us would be transformed to be made more like you, that we could live as lights in this world, we could live with the assurance of you, the assurance of Jesus, and Lord, that you would be made known through all that we do. So give us great unity in this truth we hear today so that we can be effective for your purpose. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what do you say when someone says, what's the next thing you would hear when someone says, I have some good news and some bad news? And what's the next question you always hear? Which one do you want first? So if you're a good news person, let me see your hand. We have literally four people that want the good news, five people that want the good news first, six. So bad news first, people. That's hilarious. So all of you that are bad news first, people, do you save the best thing to last on your plate when you're eating? Got to end on a good bite? So does that translate to good news first, people? Do y'all eat the best thing first? I don't know. We're just doing some polls here. No? Okay, that would be unwise. Let me just go ahead and bring you over to the other side. Save the best bite for last. And there is no right way or wrong way or good news, bad news. It's just really interesting that people always ask that question. And you really, you don't, you just would rather just get good news and leave the bad news alone. But it's these chapters that we've been teaching through in this Advent series, Isaiah 40, and the, the chapters leading up to it, it really is this this idea of good news and bad news. This, these first two weeks have been this turn of good news. Again, in Isaiah 39, there was just this proclamation of great judgment coming against the people of Israel. And then we turn the, we turn the corner to chapter 40, and it's just this flipping of the script, and it is words of great and tender comfort, this good news of, hey, yes, you will experience judgment, but God will keep his promises. You will not be forgotten. You will be restored. It's the words of great comfort. Last week, we heard, we, we heard the heralding call of prepare the way, and that was the great hope of our coming victorious king. For them, it was a pagan king that God in his sovereignty would use to liberate them from exile and captivity, and then it's the coming of the Messiah to liberate all people, and now we wait in the age where we are awaiting the return of Jesus, where all things are restored and all is made new. But that was, the, that was the call, that was the comfort last week that we are victorious in Christ because he is victorious. And so therefore, live as if that were the truth for you. Live as if this is not all that there is. Live as if you have a hope that is not secured in this world. That was our great good news last week. And now all of a sudden, we, we didn't even get asked now we just get, the, you know, get it fed to us. We got the good news first. Now it seems like this week we've got some bad news. But the plus side, and what I hope we'll see today, is that the bad news only proves the good news to be even better. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Isaiah 40. We're going to start in verse 6. While you're turning there, uh, just to reiterate, Isaiah 39 was a bitter pill, not good news. And it was one of those things that you just have to wait on. 
It's like bad news is bad enough when it's happening to you. It's worse when you have to wait on it. It's like the dad saying, you wait till we get home, you're going to get worn out. That, was, that happened to me quite a few times growing up. I hated that drive home. I wish that he would have pulled the car over and just done it there. That ride home was excruciating. And then the walk inside, you're just like, oh, man. Like, you're kind of hoping they forget, you know, and they don't. They don't forget. So, But it's like that's kind of that's what Isaiah 39 was. It's like a bitter pill of what was to come, but then they had to wait. And then Isaiah 40, again, was the, 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 the flip of the script, the tone change, the one of great caring comfort. And now here we are picking up after we've heard the most comforting of news of the victorious king in our text today. So let's look at our text. We're going to look at just the first couple of words here as we continue in this great message of comfort that Isaiah 40 through chapter 48 is. So just the beginning of verse 6. Here we go. Getting after it. It says, a voice cry. A voice says cry. And I said, what shall I cry? We're going to start there. So last week, if you remember, if you were here or if you weren't, in verse 3, we started with another voice. And in that voice, in that verse 3, we hear that that voice was anonymous and that, that anonymous voice was crying out. We pointed out that the voice was anonymous because it really didn't matter because the importance of the proclamation, the, the importance of the heralding cry was way more important than actually who said it. Here in verse 6, this anonymous voice says, cry instead of actually crying out. This voice in verse 6 brings instruction, while the first voice brought an announcement. So again, I would say that this voice, the second time we see this voice speaking, it's not defined because, again, the instruction is far more of, of far more importance than who is giving the instruction. So who's the voice giving instruction to, just so we can define the audience? It would be the same audience that it made the announcement to, right? So who is that? Those who would be captive and set free. Most immediately, the Israelites, the people of God who were exiled to Babylon, who were to be exiled to Babylon at this time and liberated by the sovereign hand of God through a pagan king. That's the most immediate audience. We also see that this for us, this comes and points to the Messiah, King Jesus, who came to liberate a people enslaved to sin. So the voice cries. It says to cry. And we see the question, what shall I cry? And just a side note, I pray that we would, that we would respond with that same humility and boldness and urgency when God speaks, he says, cry, your reply is nothing else but what shall I cry? Just a freebie. I love that posture. That's my prayer. So, so we're the audience, just as much as the people of Israel at the time were. So let's make sure to set the scene well before we move on. So we just heard that there's a victorious king coming to his people. Again, remember how that just, I know we've, we've already touched on it a lot this morning as we've been reviewing, but I want to make sure that we emotionally and personally connect with what's happening here, with the, with the experience of the audience and hopefully with you as well. Again, they just heard the worst news possible. The promised people of God in the promised land would be cast out and taken captive underneath an enemy of God's rule. And if you're 
you know, arrogantly zealous or even or zealous for the things of God, either way it's bad news. Either way, you're losing your rights or either way you're seeing what you would understand God's purpose and, and promise to be defied and defiled. Bad news, that's the setting. So as we, as we think about this, we think about the promise that was heard. So, you know, we, we, they heard this promise that they would be delivered, and we think, so now what? What do the people do with that information, that there is a promise of, of, and a call to prepare the way of the coming victorious king? So there, there will be deliverance. There will be redemption. What are they to do? Are they to sit there and enjoy their position, enjoy the promise once again, just because they know the inside scoop? No, of course not, right? Are we to sit here and enjoy our position, our security? No, the voice compels them and us to go and make a proclamation. So what is that proclamation? That's what he's saying. What shall I cry? Let's keep reading. We're going to read that again, verse 6. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry here is, here is the message here. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. We're going to stop there. That sounds nice, right? We like that. Like, it makes me think of, like, green pastures, taking pictures of my kids in blue bonnets. Like, that's pretty. Like, I, I grew up in a home that had immaculate grass all the time, and it did not get much better than going out barefooted in the summertime and playing in that plush grass. Like, it was better than my bed. That sounds, I didn't, I didn't play in my bed, but laying in it, I laid in the grass, would roll down the hill. It was all just good stuff. And it doesn't get better than that. We think about the flowers. Flowers are beautiful. They're used to communicate all kinds of things. They're, they're, they're used to communicate love, friendship, comfort. I think of one of the most effective pickup lines ever goes like this. Some people say that a flower is the epitome of true beauty in this world. I am giving this flower to you so that it can see what true beauty is. Works, <laughs> works every time, I promise. All the single guys, go try it. Don't, doesn't work, ever, ever. never works. Okay, so, <laughs> but again, this evokes like positive things. Like we think about, you know, all flesh is like grass and their beauty is like the flower of the field. Let's, let's keep reading. So we pick up right there, it says all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. And then it says this. This is, what, this is our comforting message we're supposed to proclaim. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Not so nice anymore. Like this is our message of comfort that we are being told to proclaim to the world. Uh, I'm like, what the heck? So what is this message we're supposed to proclaim? Plain and simple, straightforward, man is temporary. We kind of talked about this last week a little bit. Man is temporary. All of this, all that we see and know and do will come to an end. And those are really just kind of nice ways of saying that every one of us will die. One day we will die. And all that we did with our hands, all that we accomplished with our hands will return to the dust of which it came. That's, that's the message here. Yay. You know, yay, let's go proclaim that. that. That message will make us a lot of friends, I guarantee you that. 
You know, like, let's go. I, I, anyway, I've I played out all sorts of scenarios. It, not, not many of them went well, just going and saying that. You know, so how in the heck is this comforting? You know, like, that's where I'm kind of left at when I read this at just first glance. I'm like, I, I want to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Good news is comforting. This doesn't feel like good news. So before we tackle that question, let's clarify a few things, okay? So first off, this is not saying that everyone is worthless and everything is meaningless. This is not what this is saying. Like, how? That's what it sounds like. The passage says, all flesh is grass and its beauty is like the flower. There are good qualities in the grass and the flower and they are productive, right? The grass keeps the land from eroding, right? It's nice to look at. It's a vital link in the ecosystem. And not to mention, I enjoy walking barefooted in it in the summertime when it's a nice yard. Flowers, likewise, are part of our ecosystem and provide much beauty in our world. And who doesn't like honey? Without flowers, there's no honey. Did you know that? I mean, bees too, but still, I mean, without the flowers, there's no honey. They're productive, but they have their season. They're beautiful, but their beauty fades. Any impact they have lacks permanence. So, we are the same. People are the same. Every person has beautiful qualities and is capable of beautiful things. They're capable of meaningful things. Every person has purpose and is capable of achieving purpose. After all, we are all, every one of us, everyone on this earth is created in the image of God. In his likeness, every person is created. So that makes sense. But our beauty is fragile, just like that of the flower, and it does not last. Our looks fade and our physical abilities diminish, and one day life will cease. So that word there for beauty that we see there in, in the Hebrew is, could also be translated as goodness or even constancy, constancy. So this is not a message of hopelessness or uselessness. It is a shift of perspective. It is a call to enjoy being a part of God's creation and expressing his image in you, but to not lean on your own goodness or your own efforts or they will pass away. At the end, they stay here, you go on. So this is a call to reflecting on permanence. I, I love what one commentator said, kind of in line with this. He says, if I insist I am permanent, then I become nothing. If I admit that God alone is permanent, then he breathes his permanence on me. And then Psalm 91, 91 and 2 says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, or ever, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Only God is everlasting. Only the things of God, only the things that he does are everlasting. So this is how we get to this, this message of temporariness being a message of comfort. This is our message of comfort. What was the sin of the people of Israel of the time and really every person on the world since then, including us in this room? What is every one of our sins and what was their sin? 
they and we, we work as our own self-sovereign and live self-sufficient apart from God. That was the first sin of Adam and Eve. They decided that they knew better, they could provide their own way, and they went against the desire and will of God. Then they set out to make their own way by covering their shame with the fig leaves, right? We see it there, we see it in the people of Israel, and that they were, they were satisfied in their position as the, as the people of promise and lived it as a position of prestige as opposed to a position of responsibility. And again, you and I are no different. We have done the same. So, <laughs> excuse me, the, the self-sufficient man does not respond well to the good news of God. Why? Because they do not see themselves in need of anything. And that's part of the good news, is that you are in need, but there is one who fulfills your need. Don't you think that Israelites cried out for relief when they heard the judgment against them? I'm sure they did. Haven't you cried out for relief because of your own struggle against self or your struggle in this world or against this world? Have we not sincerely cried out for relief? Do you think they were sincere in their plea? Are you sincere in your plea? And yet the promise of exile and captivity remained. The sentence, the judgment of exile remained. So it is the kindness of bringing one low so that they can see that there is a need that brings them to the message of comfort, brings us to the message of comfort. All of mankind has been wounded. We have all been wounded by sin. Sin has wounded us in a far greater wound of anything else we could experience. It has wounded our souls. It has fractured us from relationship with God. We have been wounded. And, we've, and, and in us, we know that we need freedom and we cry out in different ways, whether you use the words that sound like you're crying out for God or you just wrestle with different ways. We have all cried out for healing from that wound. In our comfort-addicted selves, we want the healing without the process of going through what is needed to heal. You know, when I think of these things, I think of, again, what we say it a lot in here, but just in Romans, it says God's kindness leads us to repentance. That takes us through a breaking. Let me illustrate this idea of, of us trying to avoid what is needed to be healed and just the desire for, for instant relief and why God must take us through the judgment, through the bringing low for us to truly be healed. It would actually do more destruction to cover the wound of an of a, of, of a, of a injury right away to avoid more discomfort. You think of a burn victim who's been significantly burned, and there's third-degree burn, burns where there is open exposure. I'm no doctor, but I've watched enough documentaries, and we've got a few in here that I'm going to watch for nodding heads or other way just to <laughs> kind of, you know, lead me. And, uh, but I, I, but what, what, what I've seen and know is that on those injuries, they have to free the injury of all contaminants before they can work towards the process of healing and of soothing. Think about how agonizing that is and how unkind uh, and how violent that actually is. Someone whose who's every nerve is exposed because they've been burned and, every, and, and 
and they're in that place where, I know I just actually made a medical mistake because I know some burns can go so far that the nerves are dead, but, but we're going to that layer where there are nerves that are still exposed, okay? Right, Henry? Thanks, <laughs> Dr. Henry. Um, but they have to free those wounds of contaminants, which includes the debris, also includes dead skin, and like it in, I mean, like scrubbing a burn. Thanks, thumbs up. That's horrific. You think about the pain and how, like what that person is sustaining to go through that. And yet that must happen before the soothing, the soothing salve is, is administered. Before the, the bandage is, is wrapped to protect from further contaminants. Without that, that wound will continue to fester and only get worse. Without that, healing would be impeded. That is the kindness of this message. Why it would be kind to say, hey, we're all temporary. To awaken people to the need, because only then is there a step towards hope. Maybe sitting there thinking that you're not this bad. You're not in need of, of, of you know, as this is saying. And if you're not thinking that, I guarantee you that someone in your life thinks that. We can't forget one of my favorite quotes from Tim Keller. You've heard it here way too many times, but it says, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We put values on sin. But we must remember that any offense against the law of God, which the law of God directly and fully expresses the very character of God and hence the person of God is equal in the judgment demanded, right? All sin is equal. The word sin is an archery term, if you recall. In the, in the Greek, it's an archery term. And it's, and it's you know, in, in archery, you're aiming for the bullseye. The word sin is any shot that misses the mark of the bullseye. So the person can miss the bullseye right here and the person can miss the, miss the bullseye. They can miss the target and it's the same word to describe their shot, sin. There's no measuring in that term that we see in Scripture of sin. It is to miss the mark of God's holiness. So we've all sinned, and all sin demands the same judgment. And that is because the goodness of the person we have sinned against is what determines the, the value in the, in the damage, the, the offense of our sin. So let me illustrate that real quick. There are two married couples. Okay? In one marriage, the wife is loving, available, attentive, caring, and selfless. And in the other, the wife is nagging, she's degrading, she's selfish, and she's unfaithful. In both marriages, the husband commits adultery. Now when we think about that, if we're honest, or just kind of our knee-jerk reaction is, how could the husband who has the good wife do that to her? And then, but then with the other one, we're kind of like, well, you know, eh, it's kind of understandable. He had to find affection somewhere. He had to find validation somewhere. He had to feel respected somewhere. And we kind of give him a little bit of slack, but, but both men sinned against their wives and against the design and desire of God. Both men committed adultery. Now, of course, this metaphor breaks down because, 
God is not like man and we're not like God, but still it, it can, what it does communicate is that we understand. It proves that we get the concept that it's not, it's not that this, this requirement, this righteous requirement is not just imposed upon us. It is in us. We understand and agree and even lift it up. Long quote from Charles Spurgeon. I think we'll have it on the screen. <clears throat> so check in with this. He's one of my favorite old teachers, preachers, pastors, but he's extremely smart and poetic. So here we go. As he summarizes this idea, it says, The awakened sinner, when he asks that God would have mercy upon him, is much astonished to find that instead of enjoying a speedy peace, his soul is bowed down within him under a sense of divine wrath. Naturally enough, he inquires, is this the answer to my prayer? I prayed the Lord to deliver me from sin and self, and is this the way in which he deals with me? I said, hear me, and behold, he wounds me with the wounds of a cruel. And I said, clothe me, and lo, he has torn off from me the few rags which covered me before, and my nakedness stares me in the face. I said, wash me, and behold, he has plunged me in the ditch till mine own clothes do abhor me. Is this the way of grace? So this is our comforting message. We are impermanent, but our impermanence is wrapped up in God's permanence. But how? But how? How do we live that out? How do we know that? How do we experience that? How do we experience it to the point that we can proclaim it with integrity and conviction? Let's read uh, verses 6 through 8. Let's read the whole shebang here. As a voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? It says, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. What is the word of our God? It is his promise. Once again, we come back to this. It is his promise. It is everything that he is, everything that he says will be upheld, will be accomplished. For the people of Israel, this meant the promise of God will be fulfilled and that there would remain a remnant of the people of God and that they would be restored and that through them all blessings would flow to the rest of all mankind. What about for you and me? Peter tells us that this truth is fulfilled in Jesus when he references this same text in 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25. It says this, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. What is the good news that was preached to you? It is the good news of Jesus Christ. The coming of the Messiah, the incarnate God, God taking on flesh, humbling himself into our world so that he could right what was wrong. The good news of Jesus is that he is coming to set right the way the world that God, the way the world God intended as he created. God created the world and all that is in it to be in unity and harmony with him. But again, as we've said, man sinned. We sinned against God, and there was a fracture, a separation. In that moment, there was a judgment against man. Man would die, he would not live forever. And greater, without, without 
a redeemer. They would stay separated from God. An eternal separation. But immediately, the next breath after the judgment, God made a way of redemption and salvation, foretelling the coming of Christ. So we live in this fallen world. We live in this, in this time again after the Jesus has come to save and to redeem and as we are awaiting his returning. That's the good news of Jesus. That's how this would, that's, that was, this promise of God's word being eternal was fulfilled in the saving work of Christ. Hebrews 9, 27 through 28 says this. It says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for him? I love my wife. She has wisdom and discernment and just an amazing woman. And we were sitting there the other day, and I, and I, said, I said, Amber, I said, what, what are your thoughts? T tell me what you think. What, why is this message, why is this a message of comfort that we don't live on this earth forever? And without skipping a beat, she just looks at me and she says, because we won't live on this earth forever. And I was like, you're good. That's great. I like that. That's, boom, wisdom. That's so good. But that's like, are you eagerly waiting? Again, we talked about last week, one of the ways that we willfully work of preparing the way is to live as if this is not all there is. To live as, to live as if we have a hope that is not grounded in the temporal, but is grounded in the eternal work of Jesus. You've heard that our victorious King, Jesus, will return. In the Advent season, we don't only remember the arrival of Jesus as a baby, but we look forward to his return to restore all things once again. Why should there be an urgency to proclaim the truths of man's impermanence and the permanence of God's work in Christ? Because of exactly that, we're living in the age between, the age of the already not yet, that Jesus has come to redeem, but is still coming to restore all things. We live in the age when there is still time for people to repent and find redemption in Christ. And I don't want to just talk about them as if there's nobody in this room that that might be the case for. If you are in this room and you have not repented, if you have not said, okay, God, I can acknowledge that you are good, and in your goodness, you're sovereign, and because of that, you have the rule and authority to say that there is one way to redemption, and that is Jesus. And because of your great love, you sent your only son to live and die in my stead. There is time for you if that is you in this room. That is why we proclaim this message with conviction with comfort, with intent, with joy, with expectation. And if you are in this room and you have called on Christ, you, you have found life as you have surrendered your life to him, then we must open our eyes to understand the urgency of living in the age between. The king is coming to ultimately liberate his people. For those who are in Christ, this is as bad as it gets.
For those who have not surrendered to Christ, this is as good as it gets. Be selfless in your view of the world. Be intentional with your relationships. It is not without hope for those who do not know Jesus. Salvation is for all who will believe and call on the great name of Jesus, our Savior. Think of all the people in your life. Think of all the people in your life that need to hear and see and taste this good truth of Jesus. Think of the kindness of helping them understand that they have a need that they cannot satisfy, but yet there is one greater who can. Has your friend heard that this world will pass away, including every, other, or every earthly relationship that provides meaning and security? Has your neighbor seen the grace of God in Christ that liberates us all from needing to have as much as the next guy? Has your coworker heard that no amount of success, no amount of success will ultimately satisfy or secure their joy? Has your sister, your father, your cousin tasted the eternal in the way that you love them, even when they are unlovable? We must proclaim and live in a way as if we are subject to a greater king and we are excited about his coming. We rest in his good rule and his reign even now. Let your life proclaim that with all that you do. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. That's simple. For some, it's in your day-to-day -day routine. For some, it's in a foreign land. Not one call is greater than the other. The greatest call in your life is simple daily obedience. As the Lord reveals his truth to you, say yes and step forward. When he says cry, you say, what shall I cry? Can we live that way? Can we pray that God would make our hearts tender, that he would prick our hearts, that he would open our eyes, open our ears, not let us go through our days dull? In this season, as you have heard and as you have experienced in your life, this is a season when there is greater opportunity there's such a tradition of, of family. There's such a tradition of tradition. There is such an expectancy to have someone in this season. So many people, so many people's insecurities and false foundations are exposed for what they are as crumbling and insufficient. Will you pray that the Lord would use you as you have been one who has experienced this message of comfort? and recognizing your own need for a Savior, will you do the kindness of telling those in your life however way possible, through life, through love, through words, through invitation, that that is the truth, that that is for them, and there is freedom, there is hope. We cry that God is sovereign and worthy to be praised, and that there is eternal hope in Christ and in Christ alone. That is our message of comfort. That is the one that we are called to proclaim. Will you proclaim it with me? Let's pray. As I pray, after I pray, you can join in praying out loud or silently. Let's just pray in response to this truth today. So God, we love you. I love you. 
humbled by your love, humbled by your grace. Lord, that I was wayward, that I rebelled, and, I, and even while I was still sinned against you, you sent Jesus to save me. I thank you that you helped me understand my need, that you helped me understand my impermanence, that your permanence washes over me, picks me up, emboldens me, sends me out. So God, as we live in this season, as I live in this world, in this season, I pray for an urgency, God. I thank you that, that again, that I, you have called me in. Let me not be so selfish or so arrogant to live as if that is the only point of it all. I pray that my life will glorify you and be used to take the light and message and love of Jesus to each person in my life. So I pray now for all of us, bring specific relationships, specific names into our hearts and minds right now that we could pray for and ask you to set our lives to loving them well living out truth well, and proclaiming wisely as you give us the opportunity with great humility, with great respect, but also with great conviction. I pray that this would not just be a work that we set ourselves towards, but it would be a conviction that holds us and does not let go. I pray that for me first and for us as a church, as a people. Lord, I thank you that this eternal word was fulfilled in Jesus. This eternal promise was fulfilled in Jesus. Lord, use us in this world for your glory. Use us to our neighbor for their good and your glory. In Jesus' name.